Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. I thought I was going to be finished with teaching on words and how we speak, and then I went to camp meeting, and that was one of the major themes, was your confession. Charles Cowan, the acquaintance from years ago as a church in Nashville, did some of the best teaching I've heard in a long time on your mindset, because how you think, you know, Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so is he. Which is really, in context, when you read that, it's, um, it's saying, you know, you, you will run into people, their, their outward appearance will say one thing, but it's a deception. Jesus used the term wolves in sheep's clothing. But we can never rise above how we see ourselves. You know, one of the, the, and and the world has gone, they went squirrely in the wrong way, where, especially in schools in the last 20 to 30 years, they got onto this thing, well, we need to improve everybody's self-image. So we're going to quit setting standards, because some kids won't meet, won't come up to the standards, and then they feel bad about themselves. So we won't have any standards, and everybody can feel feel good about themselves. And the problem is, they felt good about nothing. And then they got out in real life and they, they, they walked into a job and it's like, you weren't here on time, you're taking extra breaks, you're not doing the job that we hired you to do and we're paying you to do, so guess what? You're fired. Go home. And it's like, wait a minute, you can't fire me. I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. Well, you may be a good person, but if you're not doing the job, you're not going to keep the job long. God... On the other hand, set the example for us by, through the new birth, he changed us on the inside first. He actually changed who you are and then said, I want you, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I want you to conform your life to who you really are on the inside. I'm going to change you and then you conform your life, start with, change the way you think. Change your image to the image I have of you, and then, as I said a minute ago, you declare what the Word says about you because your faith is voice-activated. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to do my best to review quickly. You know that's difficult for me. I do a lot of things quickly. Reviewing is not one of them. But we're going to start, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. And this is, this is the culmination, chapter 14. Um, Paul started over here in, in um, chapter 12 talking about spiritual things. And he, he told us in um, verse 
Verses 4 through 5, you don't have to go there, but let me just read them to you. He said, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's kind of what we were talking about earlier. We all have a part to play. God wants to manifest himself through each of us to provide the needs for the body, and to bring other people into the body. It's only by the Spirit that we can accomplish those things. It's one of, this is my opinion, but I I think I'm pretty accurate. Part of the problem, especially in the, the American church, and especially in the modern American church, is we have intellectualized so much that we forget, and in many churches, they haven't forgotten, they just reject the move of the Spirit. They don't, they, all they expect is I will explain the new birth to you and you will accept it intellectually and then you can get born again and then you're just going to live out if you're tough and you study and, you're, and, and you really work hard, then you can live this life out and they don't make room for the Holy Spirit to come in and individualize it and empower us to live. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the manifestation of the Spirit, you're not going to be able to live this life. I had a pastor said one time, and it, and it, was, it, it actually was a little embarrassing, uh, because he said, you know, the Christian life is not hard. And he paused. And there were half a dozen people in the congregation, amen. He said, it's impossible. And suddenly their amen was a little awkward. Well, it is impossible. You can't do what the Bible tells you to do. You, there's no way. We fa- we're failures. That's, that's part of what Paul said in, in Romans. You know, the purpose of the law was to show us we can't live that way. We cannot live the perfect life. You set a rule, you're going to find out. The, and God said, this is the boundary. Now, I set this boundary to prove to you you're going to break that boundary so that you will know you need a Savior. That's the whole reason he brought us the law, so we would know we were sinners, so we would look for somebody to save us and then empower us to live beyond what we could. But it's through that manifestation of the Spirit. And then in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he said, you've got all these things that you need to do and God wants to do through you, but you've got to keep in mind, if you're doing it for any motive other than love, doesn't count. Can't do it. You're just a, a, in fact, only Paul could could, um, write it this way. Verse 1, chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Brother Hagin used to say, I just soon hear a donkey bray at midnight in a tin barn. If you've ever been in a metal building and listened to something, you know, an animal making any sound, let alone a donkey. If you've ever heard a donkey bray, that's irritating. But when you get in that metal barn with that echo, it, it just, it's piercing. Well, that's what we sound like when we do things without love. But in, in chapter 14, he says, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And now he, in, in starting in verse two, he's gonna tell us why. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. One translation says he speaks divine mysteries. Verse 3, but he who prophesies 
speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Tongues is important. Speaking in tongues builds you up. Jude, the book of Jude, says that building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Speaking in tongues won't give you faith, but it'll take the faith you've got and build you up on that faith. So Paul is not denigrating tongues here. In fact, he says later on, he says, I speak in tongues more than you all. And, and, and the reason I emphasize that, there are whole denominations that will quote that verse and say, see, I don't want to speak in tongues. I want to edify the church. Well, it's not an either or. It's both. You can have your cake and, and, and eat it too. Because as soon as you eat it, God will reproduce it. It's like the, the, the loaves and the fishes. You, you take a fish out, there's two fish left. That's how it works. But this, the prophecy, that's what we've been talking about. And it's interesting. I just went back. I, I went through what edification, exhortation, and comfort mean. Let me go through really real quick. Edification's Greek word oikodom, which means, oika means house, and doma means to build it up, to take a, put a second floor on a first floor. You're building that up. When he says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, builds it up. He who prophesies builds the church. We're adding layers to that. The, the word exhortation is the, the Greek word parakaleo. When Jesus in the gospel said, it's good that I leave because I will send another helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he used the word paraklesis. Different form of the same word. It's one called alongside. That's what para means. And the kaleo means to call or command. The Holy Spirit will come alongside you and speak to you and tell you what the word says. Remind you of scripture. Urging you. Now you say it. You declare it. One thing that you, you have to get through your head you cannot defeat the enemy with your thoughts. You can only defeat the enemy with your words. Jesus didn't think the devil behind him. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Had he not said it, he could have thought it all day, all week, all month until he said it, until he gave the command. You look at Genesis 1. When Jesus wanted to create the universe, he spoke. He said, light be and light was. Created it out of nothing. That's the amazing thing. That, that's part of the reason that scientists are still fighting the Big Bang Theory because it has a beginning. And, what they, and, and they try to squirrel around it a lot of ways, but when they're honest, they have to admit, we don't like that because there is a moment here where there is nothing. Nothing. And then suddenly there is something. How can you have nothing and then get something? And some of them are so idiotic, they say, well, nothing split into something. And it's like, are you kidding me? Are you? And then they'll say, well, there was the primordial egg. Well, who made the egg? I mean, you can work your way around it. And, and believe me, if you are determined philosophically that you're a materialist, if you can't see it, touch it, smell it, feel it, it doesn't exist, You'll come up with some way to deny the creation event. But even science proves that there was a moment before time 
when nothing existed. No matter, no energy, no time, no empty space. There was nothing. And then suddenly the whole universe sprung into existence. Now we may disagree when it happened, how exactly it happened, but nobody disagrees that it happened. I mean, we're here. <laughs> I do exist. I mean, I forget the philosopher said, I think therefore I am. No, therefore you am because God thought and then said. That's why we am. That's the, that's the um, Popeye translation. And then the, the, the comfort was the one that, that really I loved. It's paramythia. It's called alongside, to, and mythia literally means a fable or a myth. And it's, it's, it's not that you pull alongside somebody to tell them something that's not true, but you call, you come, God's called us to speak to people and declare to them a story where they're successful. You can do this. You can succeed. You can be what God's called you to be. And we all need that. There are times when, when Brother Hagin used the expression, he said, there were times when I wasn't at the bottom of the barrel, I was under the barrel and somebody put the barrel on top of me. When you get under the barrel and the barrel's weighing down on you and you need somebody to come alongside and tell you that you're going to make it. In fact, one of the, 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 the words for an intercede and for intercessor is someone who jumps in the pit with you to help pull you out or to boost you out. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus did. John 3.16, one of the most familiar verses in all the, of, of the world. For God so loved the world. That is the Greek word cosmos. If he was talking about planet Earth, he would have used the Greek word G, where we get geology. Cosmos is the world system, the fallen way that the world works now that Adam and Eve gave it up and Satan has become the God little g of this world. It's screwed up, it's messed up. It, the, the whole world is looking, the whole universe is looking for a redeemer. Because this place is messed up. But notice what it said. For God so loved this fallen system that he gave his only begotten son. God loved our messed up world and us in the middle of our messed up world and jumped right in the middle of our messed up world to pull us out of the messed up world and take us and seat us, sit us down with him in heavenly places. And he comes alongside and says, now find somebody that's under it and pull up beside him and say, look, this can change. This can be better. You can be better because you've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can get saved. And then you will have the Holy Spirit. And then you can, can do what God's called you to do. But the one that I saw this morning, and I, you, know, you, you kind of smack yourself in the head when you do these things. I had never really studied out what prophesy means. Because it says, he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. What does this word mean? Well, it's literally the, the Greek word prophetio. Two words, pro, which means to come before. And then it's a compound word, and it's interesting. It's the Greek word phos, which means light. We, we have photos. It's a derivative of thought or phos. 
and the word phanio, which is a derivative of phos. So literally it means, to prophesy means to speak light so that you will see light. And, and when, when, you, when you work your way through it, it says you need, before you get there, you need to speak light in that situation so that you will, it will reveal the light in the situation to you. And it, I have um, I've always loved the Moffat's translation, although it doesn't really, sometimes it's not the eas- most easily read. But as I was sitting here, I pulled up Moffat. And in, in Ephesians 5, listen to how Moffat translates. And you all, if you've got it, you can put up Ephesians 5, starting with verse 8. We only have it in the New King James. I don't think we have Moffat's translation. But, but notice how, how Moffat words this. For while once upon a time you were darkness, now in the Lord you are light. Lead the life of those who are children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all that is good and right and true, verifying what pleases the Lord. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the the fruitless enterprises of the darkness, rather expose them. Now let me make a little editorial comment. When it says rather expose them, he's not talking about exposing everybody else's sin. He's talking about expose it in your own life primarily. You need to dig in and find out where, you, if, do I have darkness in my life right now? And if I do, I need to expose it. Verse 12, he said, um, rather expose them. One is indeed ashamed even to speak about what such men do in secret. Still, whatever the light exposes becomes illuminated, for anything that is illuminated turns into light. I love the way he phrases that. Whatever the light exposes becomes illuminated, and anything that is illuminated turns into light. God's light, God's power, God's manifested presence can take the darkness in you. If you will shine the light on it, he will transform what was once darkness into light. He will take things that, that you might be ashamed of now and turn them and make them something that you can be proud of. How can that happen? It takes God to do something like that. But God does it. When we prophesy, before we see something, we declare this We're going to declare the light on this situation and that light is going to illuminate and make this situation light. It will transform it because we do it by faith. It's not just an an exercise of, well, you know, here's a verse, go confess this 10,000 times and then it'll magically just appear. No, God's not a genie. He's not Buddha. You don't go rub his belly six times, you know, and something will magically appear. He's not a Harry Potter wand. You don't just wave it and say the magic incantation. You have to mix what you're believing with faith. And and, and it only works when you take what God said and put your faith with that. If it didn't originate with God, lots of luck. I've used the example. I go out in the parking lot... I got to take my car key, I put it in the ignition, and I have faith that when I turn that key, it's going to start. 
Well, Sunday afternoon, we were all packed up a week ago, getting ready to head to, to Broken Arrow. Man, I'm looking forward. Well, I came up early. I always come to church early, pray a little bit, get the air conditioner on, get the lights on. And when I left church that morning, it was still dark. And for some reason, I did not hear the little chime when I closed my door. And my lights were on. Well, when I left, I brought the other car because I thought, you know, this has got clothes. We're packing. We've loaded some of it. I'm not going to drive it around. Well, I went out, and I've got a, a, a key bob, and mine, I've used mine so much, the only button on it that works is the trunk button. And I was getting ready to put something in the trunk, and I pushed the button, and nothing happened. Nothing. I thought, oh, Lord, now this button's gone out. And so I opened the car, and no dome light. And I looked down, and my lights were on. And they'd been on for the last five hours. And my battery was just deader than a hammer. I got in and, you know, like an idiot, you don't have enough electricity to turn the dome light on. You don't have enough to turn that engine over. But I'm a man of faith and power. I, I didn't even have enough to go click. But I tried it. My faith was, this thing's going to start. But that's my faith in my car and in my battery. My faith failed. Because my faith in that car can only, that car can only answer my faith to the ability of the car. And I mistreated the battery, and the battery said, forget you, not doing this. So fortunately, I wasn't all the way packed, and I just took my little car and got the jumper cables, and we charged the battery for about 10 minutes and started right up. But my faith in the car could only be answered by the car. My faith, because the car has limitations, believe me. I told somebody I was, I was really jealous because uh, several of those ministers, uh, one in particular, he, he ministers all over the world. And God has blessed him. When he goes to a meeting, he has one pastor that he goes regularly and ministers in his church in uh, Papua New Guinea. That's almost halfway around the world. Well, he has a jet and he flies everywhere he goes. But he's constantly, he's flying everywhere, and every time he goes somewhere, when he went to Papua New Guinea, he loaded up in the back of his jet $200,000 worth of books and materials and went there and had a, a conference for believers and for pastors and gave away $200,000 worth of materials and then received offerings. And when they got all the offering money, he distributed it to the local pastor and said, here, use this to bless these people some more. He went on his own dime and sowed money, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Well, God blessed that kind of faith. And he just said, Lord, I need a jet. I can't afford to fly commercial. For one thing, it wears you out. But when I, when I went and looked at my little car and realized I'm going to jet across three or four states, at, you know, if I don't get caught 75, 80 miles an hour, and 10 hours later, I'm going to arrive at home exhausted. And he got in his jet, and 90 minutes later, he's back in Louisiana. And I'm thinking, Lord, I could use a jet right now. You know? God has unlimited supply. If I could put my faith on it, and if he's called me to have that, God will answer it. Now, 
you're going to have to be generous if he's going to answer to that degree. And this guy, I've never met anybody more generous. I mean, he, he throws money at churches and pastors just like crazy. But then money just flows into him. But he got a revelation years ago that the Bible said, if you will give big, you will receive big. And he's done it for 35, 40 years in the ministry. And now he's got partners all over the country that sow money into him. And he just gives it out as fast as it comes in. Just gives and gives and gives and gives. Now, back to prophecy. God's called us to sow light, to illuminate, to transform. What I also saw, and nobody even preached on this one, it just somebody said a little something, and I chased a, a squirrel and landed in Ezekiel. And I'm not going to go to the, to the book of Ezekiel, but <clears throat> what I realized, because I just did a quick word study um, or search, Ezekiel was a prophet to um, Judah and Benjamin. There were, after Solomon died, the kingdom split. You had the ten northern tribes, and then you had the kingdom of Judah and Benjamin that had possessed Jerusalem. Well, the ten northern tribes, they were commanded to bring all of their goods once a year to Jerusalem for sacrifice, and that king realized... If my people are going to Jerusalem once a year, they're going to end up showing devotion and fealty to that capital. So what we're going to do, we're going to take Samaria over here and we're going to build us a, a temple of our own. And they can bring their sacrifices here. And the most famous king, the one that everybody knows, is um, Ahab. And they just fell off. And they ended up, they are still lost. They're, they're called the ten lost tribes. They went into captivity, never to be heard of again. That left Jerusalem with Judah and Benjamin. And Benjamin was so small that really all we have represented today primarily is Judah. That's why we have Jews from the tribe of Judah, where we got the word Jews from. But Judah stayed a country for many years until Babylon came. And when Babylon was threatening to take over and eventually did take over uh, Jerusalem, they did it with King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar came in and conquered Babylon. He took the, the, the captives out in three different waves. They couldn't just take everybody at once. There weren't enough soldiers to guard them, but they took them back to Babylon. Well, Judah had two primary prophets that spoke to them before and during the, the captivity one was Jeremiah, and one was Ezekiel. Well, Ezekiel got taken to Babylon during the second exodus into Babylon, and he did most of his prophesying while he was in Babylon. He was in captivity with the rest of the nation, and they were there for one reason. God had commanded, every seven years you allow your fields to lay fallow for one year. We know that today as a modern uh, practice, we call it crop rotation. You they don't do the whole farm, but they take individual fields, and every few years they will plant a field to, with uh, some kind of legume because it puts nitrogen in the soil. Uh, they even do it now when they, after the farmers will pick corn around the, uh, central Indiana or pick soybeans. Once they're gone, they come back and they seed it with grass and let the grass grow 
all winter long, and then they plow it under or, or disc it under because it puts nutrients back. God's saying it, it, part of it is a, it, it will help your soil, but part of it is a test of faith. Israel had never done that. And they owed the land 70 years of rest. 490 years they had been in the land and they never allowed the land to rest for 70 Sabbaths. So God said, you're going into captivity and you're going to be there 70 years. That's why if you read the book of Daniel, Daniel was reading Jeremiah and Jeremiah said in his writings, we're going to be here 70 years. And when Daniel read that, he read it and said, wait a minute, and started counting and realized we've been here 70 years. So he hit his knees and said, Lord, you said we'd only be here 70 years. We've been here 70 years. It's time for you to deliver us. And God raised up Cyrus, and they got delivered. And they went back to Jerusalem, to where, and they rebuilt the walls. They rebuilt the temple. We're not, that's not our subject for today. But Ezekiel was in captivity. And 20 different times in, in the, the book of Ezekiel, God speaks to Ezekiel, and this is what he says. He says, son of man, prophesy. 20 times. And almost every one of those prophecies is against a nation that either has oppressed Israel or was going to oppress Israel. That's where you get into uh, the war between Gog and Magog, which everybody considers that's the war either... Depends on the scholar. Some consider it the, the battle of Armageddon. Some say it's a battle that's going to happen right before the rapture. But it, it, he used Ezekiel to prophesy destruction on all the enemies of Israel. But what intrigued me was how he said it. In the midst of their bondage, he said, son of man, not son of God. He could have said, son of man, as God, or in the, the place of God, you declare this. But instead, he said, he emphasized, you are a man. You declare judgment. That's what he's called us to do. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. That's the prophecy. It's not, it, it's not necessarily a, a, a judgment on people or judgment on, on your enemies. Although you read through the book of Psalms, um, David was pretty bold. Lord, they're persecuting me. Eat their lunch. I mean, he, he got down to it. Well, Jesus has told us to love our enemies, to bless those that, that curse you, to bless those that despitefully use you. So, so we need to be, you know, if God directly tells you that, but I'll be honest with you, before I pronounce a curse on anybody, God's going to have to appear to me right there where I can see him. And then he's going to have to give me chapter and verse and show me. Otherwise, I'm going to bless those that curse me because that's the command I see. But he is telling us, I know you're a man. I know you're a human being. But you have my word. You have my spirit on the inside of me. Quit being passive in your life. Take my word and speak your word, my word into your life and curse those circumstances that are attacking you. You've got sickness and disease, curse that sickness and disease. It's, it's an enemy. And that is an enemy that Jesus conquered and Jesus paid the price for and we are called to curse it. Poverty, we sang it. Let the, let the, the poor say I'm rich. You don't have money in your checkbook, you start talking to your checkbook. 
Now, on that one, you, you may have to go to Malachi and get it right, because God said through Malachi, would you rob God? And there are, you know, in, in, in law, there's a difference between theft and robbery. If, if I, you know, Jerry's here. If while Jerry's here, I go to his house and I steal something out of his yard, that's theft. But if I walk up to Jerry and I grab him by the collar, I say, you give me your wallet. And if you don't, I've got a gun in my hip pocket. I'm going to pull my gun out and either beat you to death or shoot you. I want everything in your wallet. That's robbery. Robbery has in your face intimidation or threat. And God uses the word in Malachi, will you rob God? Not thief from God, rob God. In other words, you're getting in God's face and saying, I know you said the first 10% is yours. I don't believe it. I'm keeping it because I can't afford to give 10%. Dear Lord, do you know what my bills are? Well, he's God. I think he knows your bills. And he's looking at you saying, yes, I know your bills and I'm trying to bless you, but you keep robbing. You keep getting in my face. Poor can say they're rich, but it's going to be hard to be blessed when you're getting in God's face and saying, I don't believe you. And I'm going to keep what's yours. And you got an attitude about it. Now, believe me, it's pretty quiet in here right now. And, and, and let me brag on you. This is a given church. This is a very giving church. You all, the vast majority, you tithe and give beyond the tithe. So this is not a rebuke to you all. This is saying that if you're going, there, there are some promises in here that are unconditional. There are some that are conditional, and you better meet the conditions or it's not going to work. Now, the great thing is if you start declaring it and there's a condition and you haven't met the condition, the Holy Spirit will rise up in you and something won't feel right. And if you go before him and say, Lord, I know you said in your word I'm supposed to have this, but every time I declare it, something's not right in here. He'll deal with you and he'll help you make the adjustments and he'll get you, if you're open to adjust your life and adjust your lifestyle, he'll get you to the point where he needs you to get the blessing to you. But apart from you declaring it, it's not going to happen. Second, we're, we're there in 1 Corinthians. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, this is the New Living Translation. It says, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things which we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I can't see God's blessing in the Word until I confess it and declare it and back the enemy off of my stuff, and then I can see it manifest in my life. I've used the example, and I, and I have I freely admitted it. I live from paycheck to paycheck. There's, there are times in, in Gina's in my life where we've lived on barely get along street for long stretches of time. But due to circumstances in our ministry, we lost everything. We walked away from a house, we took our clothes and our car, and that's all we had. We lost every other possession we had in bankruptcy. Because when the ministry collapsed, all the people that were with you were right behind you. They were way behind me. And when the bills came due, I was, you know, we played musical chairs and I was holding all the bills and had no assets. And I tell you, I got I got I got really angry with them. I got a little bit 
P.O.'d at God, and I let him know it. If you're really angry at God, don't hesitate to tell him. He knows how you feel. Be honest. And say, I don't understand this, and I don't like it, and where are you? Well, you know what God did? Within two years, coming out of bankruptcy, he gave us a house with huge terms. I mean, great terms, better than anything I get at a bank. He has blessed me beyond my expectations from that point on. It wasn't like, well, you know, you just did some foolish things. And I did. I did some stupid things, and it, it cost me big time. You know, um, Dave Ramsey said there's a stupid tax, and most of us pay it repeatedly. Well, I've, I've paid the stupid tax more than once in my finances. But God knew my heart. I was trying to do the right thing. I just screwed up. But in doing it, he said, okay, your heart was right. Get your heart right now, and I'll start blessing you. And as soon as I turned my attitude around, he started blessing, and he's blessed me beyond anything I could imagine or think. And he's not done yet. You know, he said, Jesus said in the, in the story of the rich young ruler, when the disciples said, what do you mean it's hard for anybody that's rich to get saved? We're all rich. How do we get saved? He said, guys, you don't give up house or, or land or family or anything that I won't repay you a hundredfold in this life plus eternal life to come. He said, you give up stuff for me, I'm going to give it right back to you, multiplied, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Well, but those things, we may not be able to see them when we start declaring them. It's by faith. Now, let me, let me finish in, in the book of Joel. And I, I, I do this because, you know, um, not Moses, but um, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he quoted out of Joel. So this is what the prophet said. Your young men will drink or will... will um, Prophesy, your, your old man will dream dreams. We'll get to it. But in verse 1 of Joel chapter 2, this is what Joel says. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Joel was prophesying of our day. The day of the Lord is coming, and it's right there. You drop down to verse 21. He says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Why does he say, don't fear, be glad and rejoice? Because it's really easy to get into fear this day and age. There's a lot of things out there that are fearful. Verse 22, don't be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord of your God. That's speaking to us. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Israel always had two rainy seasons. And it, it one helped the crops get set and one helped uh, um, right before the harvest. He's telling us in this day, when the, the day of the Lord is at hand, I'm going to give you the former rain and the latter rain together. All the things you've read about in past revivals, they're all coming. All of those moves are going to get wound up in one and we are going to have a move of God that no, no generation has ever seen. Why? Because this is the last day. 
You watch a woman give birth. The birth pangs start and they're a little uncomfortable. And then they get to the stage where, you know, they give their husband the evil eye. And then they get to the stage where she's purposely digging those claws into your palm because she wants you to pay what she's paying. But when you get down to that last intense labor before you give birth, everything comes together. Well, we're at that last few pushes. God's getting ready to give birth and things are intense. But every anointing that's ever been in the earth is getting ready to manifest so that we can give birth to the greatest revival that's ever been seen. God doesn't want to leave all this fruit on the vine. Do you realize there are more people alive today than existed from 1970 all the way to Adam? You take every person that lived from Adam and Eve all the way up to, and it wasn't 1970, it was sometime in the mid-70s. Every person that had ever lived, there's more people on the face of the earth today. And there are revivals going on. There is a revival going on in, in China right now. It's got the government worried. And they're all underground churches, and that's what's got them worried. They can't control it. But they're persecuting them. In the middle of Lebanon with the war where they're cutting the heads off of Christians, some of the, the people, the ISIS fighters that are cutting the heads off are getting saved because the Christians are testifying to them and saying, I still love you. I know you're going to cut my head off, but Jesus died for you. And they're getting saved and throwing their weapons down and saying, you might as well kill me too because I accept their Jesus. There are, there are refugee camps in Jordan where thousands of Muslims are getting saved every day. There's revival going on in the land. And we sit here in the richest, most powerful, most comfortable country in the entire world and say, oh God, it's so hard. Well, we have some heathen around us. And they're going to do their best to make it hard, but in the midst of that, that, that push, we have to continually say, God, manifest yourself through me. And that fruit will fall off. Because remember, I know in my, my life, the, the, when I really, right before I really had the breakthrough, there's when I pushed back the hardest. I didn't want to go. So I fought the hardest until I finally just said, Lord, this doesn't work. And I gave in. Well, you've got friends, sometimes they're going to push hard. But if you keep speaking the word, keep loving, it will fall, you'll get the former rain and the latter rain together. Verse 24, the threshing floors shall be full of wheat and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. People getting born again. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust is eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Those are demons and demonic powers that have come to steal from you. And God says, they're all going, all that stuff's going to be restored. It's all coming back. Everything the enemy has stolen, if you will just believe me, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Verse 27, Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. We are that spiritual Israel. I am the Lord your God. There is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Twice in two verses he's, he's said that. And now this is where... Peter, this is why I say this is all about us. 
This is where Peter started to, to prophesy on the day of Pentecost. It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I, I want to throw that verse sometimes at people that say, well, there should never be any women in the pulpit. It's like, give me a break. It has nothing to do with your sex. It has to do with your anointing. Are you anointed to preach and teach and, and minister the word? Then get up and preach and teach and minister the word. Well, they can go preach in, in, in you know, Bible studies or they can go to nursing homes, but not in the church pulpit. Give me a break. I better quit or I'm start meddling. Verse 30, I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul quoted that in Romans. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. It's us. I feel like Jeremiah, Jeremiah 20, verse 9. This is Jeremiah's confession. I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it back. I could not. Jeremiah was persecuted. You realize the king of Israel threw Jeremiah in a pit because he kept prophesying and saying the Babylonians are coming. They're going to conquer the land. And the king said, just shut up. We're going to throw you in a pit just to shut you up. And Jeremiah said, okay, I will stop talking. And then in the midst of it, it reminds me of that old story that um, um, there was this farmer who, who went to, he'd go to his church and every once in a while he'd just get all wound up and he'd start jumping out and screaming and blessing God. And the pastor went to talk to him. And, and he was out plowing with his mule. And the pastor said, brother, we just need you to be a little more calm in church. We can't have all that disruption, all that yelling and all that, you know, you just get too intense. And he said, well, brother, I know. He said, but, you know, he took his hat off. He had an old work hat. It's like kind of, you know, my hats, the, the they don't really feel good until you, they look horrible, you know. Until you've sweat through them about 50 times, they don't start really fitting good to your head. That's when Gina keeps trying to put them in the back of the closet, and I keep dragging it out and saying, no, that's my, that's my good hat. And it looks terrible. Well, he pulled off his old work hat. It was sweat stained, and he said, I just, I think about, and he, he looked down. He was a little bashful. He, he said, I think about my old shoes. They got holes in them. They're worn out. But God shed my feet with the gospel of peace. And he said, and I think about my old work clothes, and I'm there in my bibs, and they're a little worn, a little hole. But God has clothed me with his righteousness. He said, and I look at my hat, and I think, oh, man, this hat is just, it's threadbare, and it's worn, it's torn. He said, but I've been given the helmet of salvation. Here, hold my hat. i got to praise God. Well, when you think about it, this is Jeremiah saying, I decided I'm not going to say any more. I shut up. I'm done. And man, the word just keeps bubbling up. It keeps bubbling up. And he's only, he says, I got fire in my bones and if I don't let it out, it's going to consume me. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And he starts prophesying. 
That's what we need. You need to get so excited about the word. We quoted it when we prayed Psalm 119, 162. I, 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 I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Man, you find a treasure. You go out and dig a hole in your backyard. You know, your, your grandkids or your kids have their pet die and you go dig a grave. Because, you know, you got to bury your pets. I buried more fish, gerbils. It's like you, you have to have this elaborate big ceremony for every pet that dies. Well, you go digging in there and suddenly you hit something clank and you think, oh, Lord, I hit a rock. And then you dig a little harder and you hit, you realize it's not a rock. It's kind of shiny. And you dig down there a little bit and suddenly you find a piece of gold. And then you find another gold. And then you look and you just keep digging and suddenly you've got 30, 40, 50 pieces of $50 gold pieces from the turn of the century. Somebody decided to hide them and they forgot they were there. And suddenly you've got twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 that was in your backyard all along and you didn't know you had it. What are you going to do? You're going to rejoice. You're going to get on the phone and start telling people, You're not, you can't believe what I found in my backyard. Well, that's what we've got in the Word. We've got things more precious than gold. And we stay silent about it. And I'm not saying you need to declare it to everyone, but you at least need to start speaking to your circumstances. And you get blessed enough in your circumstances and you'll get excited about it and start telling people, look what God did in my life. That's why I've said all along, in the Gospels it says, you shall be my witnesses. That doesn't mean that you will do witnessing. It means that you'll tell people, will say, well, what do you got to be excited about? Let me tell you what God's done in my life lately. And you start testifying about what God's done in your life. And if he's not doing anything, maybe you're not confessing anything. Maybe you're not prophesying over your own life to the extent that, hey, things are turning up roses. But brother, you don't know the, you don't know the things that have gone wrong in my life and in my family life lately. No, I don't. But I know that God's got a way out. In the midst of darkness, you bring the light. You prophesy. You foretell and put the light so that it illuminates the light and changes your dark circumstances into bright circumstances. It works. If it doesn't work, then Paul's a liar. And if Paul's a liar in, in 1 Corinthians 14, just pitch it. It's all worthless. Eat, drink, be merry, go get drunk, party, have the best time you can because when you're dead, you're just going to be dead like a dog. Quit worrying about it. But if it's real, then act like it's real. Declare it's real. When symptoms come on your body, say, no, 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 no. You don't have a right to be here. Now, they may not change instantly, but you bring the light and you'll change that symptom into a positive. You will, you will see sickness depart. When you go to your checkbook and it says no, you go back and say, well, now wait a minute. I've done this. Because I, I, I didn't learn a lot from my dad. My dad was a, a lay preacher. And I only heard him ever preach one sermon. And that was about Christians that didn't tithe. And man, he got angry about it. That was his pet peeve. And I heard more sermons at church from my father the few times he preached about people not tithing, and I heard a lot about it from home. He would get to talking about it, and in our, our kitchen we had a landing that would go upstairs, and we'd say, Gad, if you're going to preach, get up on your pulpit. 
And sometimes he'd just get up there and he'd let us have it. Well, I grew up with that. So when I got serious about being a Christian, the very first thing I did was go to my checkbook and say, okay, how much I got to write? I didn't try to go make up for the 15 years prior. I couldn't. I repented and I wrote out the check. And I've tithed ever since then. And when things get tight, I pull my old check stubs out. I pull my old check ledgers out. I say, look here, devil. Uh-uh. See that? That's 10%. Look here. Week before, that's 10%. Look here. And I go back and I show him, and then I put God in remembrance. You said if I bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, you will open the windows of heaven and shower, blessing larger than I contain. You will rebuke the devourer on my behalf, and you will cause me to be a delightful land. All of that's in Malachi 3. It's all the blessings of a tither. And I demand, I say, God, you, you need to start. I'm doing my part. The devourer's eating my lunch. I've had my washing machine break down. I've had my car break down. I've had the roof started leaking. He's devouring me right now. I expect you to put a stop to it. You know what he says? He doesn't look at me and say, well, you arrogant little rascal. Who are you to tell me? He says, nope, you're right. I said I would do it. Now watch me do it. And then I watch him start working. And then I say, all right, I want to see the windows of heaven start opening. And I want to see some blessings. And suddenly the blessings start developing. And then I get to just have, I get to enjoy it. That's what it means to be a delightful land. You know, I know a lot of people, they're rich. I know some rich folk. And I know some rich folk that are miserable. They got lots of money. They got a big house, big car, big boat, and big problems. Their kids are a mess. Their marriage is a mess. Their whole life's a mess. And they got no answers. And I know other people, they're poor as church mice. But man, they are happy. They're like a pig in a wallow. I mean, they just, they're, they're so happy. It's like, don't wake me up. I'm having fun. Just leave me alone. They don't have many material goods. But if, if God's called them to do that, they'll have that. I've, I told you about the minister. Gives away hundreds and hundreds. Actually, over the course of a year, he'll give away millions of dollars. And God will take everything that he gives away and bring that back plus more. Why? Because he trusts him to not build a six gazillion dollar mansion. He's got a modest house that he lives in. He's got a nice jet because he's flying all over the world. And he has to fuel it and take care of it and it takes money. But he doesn't brag on his jet. He brags on his God. Amen? I know a lot of big businessmen. They fly jets and they're not ashamed of it. Why would we be ashamed to have a pastor or a minister fly, have his own jet? If he needs it, now if you just got a jet to have a jet, then I might question it. It's not my business to question. It's my business to obey God and declare over my life. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have enough problems keeping up with my issues to worry about other people's issues. Amen? You keep, you, you get your life all straightened out, then you can start worrying about other people's lives. But if you see something in somebody's life and you notice there's something's amiss, pray for them. Pray for them. That's where you prophesy over their life. You back the devil off of their life. You pray that God's light will shine on them. Don't judge them. 
Don't go saying, oh, if you, did, you hear, did you hear about so-and-so, Jerry? Did you hear? Oh, my Lord, we need to pray for them. Let me tell you all the nasty things they did. No, you get on your knees and you get before God in your prayer closet and you don't tell anybody but God. And then you tell the devil, you can't have them. They're deceived. They're, the devil's eating their lunch right now, but you have to back off. You prophesy over them. Pray the word over them. And then watch God work. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana. Or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.